mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, What He Is Thinking. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 10 through 13. Here now, Pastor Moody. I felt like God spoke to me from Jeremiah, chapter 29, and I want to go there. And Jeremiah 29 and 11 is a verse that a lot of Christians kind of use as their life verse, but I want to kind of set that up in its context. That's that's the verse where God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. But I want to kind of set that up. Uh, God had raised up Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and over and over again in Jeremiah, God calls him his servant. And he uses him to punish nations for their idolatry and for their wickedness. But he all especially allows him to carry away Israel captive. You know the stories. Uh, He took even the sanctified vessels out of the house of God, carried them off to Babylon. And uh, later, uh, Belshazzar, his son, would bring those vessels out and drink wine in them, and and God would kill him that day. There would be a writing on the wall. I preached on that here a while back. But I want to just look at this from the, from the viewpoint of, the, of Jeremiah the prophet. He was contemporary with uh, Ezekiel and the others that were involved in that carrying away. And go with me, if you would, to, to Jeremiah chapter 29 and stand with me. We're going to verse number 10. And this is what God says. He said, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years, I want you to remember that. Say it with me. 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you, I'll come back to you, and perform my good word, I love that, my good word toward you, and causing you to return to this place, back to Jerusalem. Now, verse 11, this is what God says. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. He's predestined us. Pre, let me know what it means to be predestined. Predestination is a great doctrine that there's a lot of controversy about. But the word uh, predestined is a two-part word. The prefix pre means like it sounds before. And destined speaks of destiny or, or end. So God's saying, I have before ended you. Before it started, I already determined your end. And he said, then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me. Somebody ought to say amen right there. You'll seek me and find me when you shall search for me, amen, with all of your heart. Verse 11, I know the thoughts, God says, that I think towards you. 
And I just want to preach a little while this morning on what he is thinking, what he is thinking. You know, uh, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can comprehend his ways? God's saying, you can't think like I think. You can't know what I know. Jesus said, nobody has seen the Father. I read this this week. I'm studying through Matthew again. and He said, uh, nobody has seen the Father but the Son who comes to reveal him to you. And then Jesus said, I come in the volume of the book. So what God is saying is, I have this plan. I've set it in motion. I have these thoughts. I, I have written it down, speaking specifically to Israel, but concerning the church especially. God's saying, I've got a plan. Amen. And I want to talk about this one about what's he, what, what, what's he thinking. Amen. What he, God, is thinking. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And uh, I just pray that you move today and let your will be done in Jesus' name. And we'll give you the praise. Everybody said, amen. Amen. In times of trouble, in times of difficulty, in times of oppression, even in times of spiritual famine and drought, there is an awareness of the need of a word from God. Prophecy begins to take a, a position in the forefront, even of people's thoughts. People begin to wonder, what's God saying? What is the Lord saying by the word of his prophets? God had raised up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to judge the nations, including Israel, because of their disobedience toward God. And God had appointed a time, a span for Israel's punishment of 70 years. I'll talk about this a little later in the message. Daniel understood seeking God as he was still in Babylon after many years of captivity. That the Lord was speaking actually of 70 weeks of years or 490 years that would be accomplished in the desolation of Israel to usher in righteousness, to make an end of sin and to set up the millennial kingdom. And uh, I, I want to just, a little bit later on, I want to talk about that in the message. And during this time that we're talking about here, though, prophets begin to speak. One prophet who had been a, a proven man by the name of Hananiah had came into the house of the Lord in the presence of all the priests and of all of the spiritual leaders, and he began to speak to Jeremiah. God had told Jeremiah to do something strange. He had taken a wooden yoke and put it around his neck as an illustration that this yoke of Babylon is done by the hand of the Lord to humble you and to bring you where you need to be with God. I want to say this. I think in these last days, more important than financial security, more important than political stability, more important than any of the things that we long to see is the need for the people of God and for the nation to embrace Christ and to embrace God and to embrace his word and his plan for us. So Jeremiah puts this yoke of wood around his neck. And Hananiah, the Bible said in 28 and 1, begins saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And he says to Jeremiah, I have broke the yoke of the king of Babylon and he literally breaks the yoke off Jeremiah's neck. And then he says, within two years, 
I will bring again into this place all the vessels. In other words, I'm going to, you know, those vessels represented worship. They represented communion with God. They represented holiness being within the tabernacle or the temple itself. Do you, you, you must understand that building was there to honor God, but those instruments were indication of God's glory being there as worship was used and, and affected by these instruments. So he says within two years, I'm gonna change things. I'll bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar carried away. Now this sounded good, but the prophecy was false. It was not the word of the Lord. And uh, Jeremiah 28 and 15 said, then said Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, hear now Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. You've caused them to believe something that's not right. Therefore thus saith the Lord, behold, I will cast thee off the face of the earth this year that thou shalt die because thou hast taught rebellion against the, against the Lord, against what God had said. Notice this. So Hananiah, the prophet, died the same year in the seventh month. Now, when we get to Jeremiah chapter 29, this section has to do with the children of Israel who are still living in this Babylonian captivity. God wasn't saying to them, everything is gonna run smoothly. You know what he said to them? 70 years. I read, I read this. Here's what God said. Hannah and I and the others are saying we're going back home. But God says, while you're in Babylon, you might as well plant crops. You might as well build some houses. You might as well go ahead and let your sons and daughters get married, have children, continue on the progenitory of the nation. Because it's gonna be this time. I'm gonna sanctify the land. You know, when God let them into the land of Israel, he said, you, you, there's some things you've got to do. You've got to defend my word. He said, you've got to honor me and you've got to hallow the land and protect the land. But what they did was they defiled the land. They defied God. They destroyed worship within the place that God had brought them into. So this was the judgment of God that they were, that they were dealing with. And uh, so God was saying, the day is coming when this will be over. I planned a future for you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The promise in this one passage of wholeness, it's of wholeness and, and, and well-being. God was saying to them uh, and, to, and to us, evaluate where you are. Trust my plans. I'm going to elevate your expectations. You know, the reality is we're in the world. Can I get a witness? But we're not of the world. Come on, somebody. Uh, can I tell you uh, that the word of God says that as long as you're in the world, you're going to have trouble. But then Jesus turned around and said, but don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. When I was studying this, I, I began to think about what God was saying. I'm gonna elevate your expectations in the worst of times. I know what I'm thinking about you. 
You don't have any idea what I'm about to do. But he said, you can trust me. Come on, somebody. Amen. Paul the apostle said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9, Amen. He said, as it is written, the eye has not seen nor the ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of a man that those things that God has prepared for them that love him. How many love the Lord this morning? Will you help me preach a little bit? Hallelujah. I, I know that one of the things that, that came out of the leadership gathering this weekend that was just kind of you know, refortified in my heart, I I know something more than I know who I am and know my own name. Amen. Dallas Alexander said, I believe this more than I believe this is my right arm. I know that he loves me. I know that he saved me. Woo, hallelujah. I walked into that room over there a while ago to get a bottle of water and the Holy Spirit stopped me when I started back out and turned me back around. And in my, in my hearing, I heard this in my spirit. He said, I have a thing to say. I said, say it, Lord. He said, who you are had nothing to do with what you've become. He said, it was all because that I planned this before you were born. And I said to Jeremiah, before you were conceived in the womb, I ordained you. I want to tell you, I know we're living in a different time today, but I hear God saying, I'm still thinking, I'm still watching, I'm still planning and I'm going to do some things among my people that's going to cause the world to set up and take notice. God has a plan. Can you say amen? Give him praise if you would. Glory, glory, glory. I want to tell you that God's promises gives us hope. Say that with me. God's promise gives me hope. And the scripture said that hope makes not ashamed. I want to tell you, child of God, you don't have to be ashamed of who you are. Well, you don't have to be bashful about who you are. You, you don't have to hang your head down. Somebody help me. I understand there's a, one of our ladies at the church here got a breakthrough deliverance here Saturday night. Uh, I'm sorry, Thursday night in the prayer meeting. And she was a person that, that felt, amen, like she couldn't lift up her head, like she couldn't look you in the eye. But before Thursday night was over, she was marching around the church in the boldness of the Holy Ghost and she told some people, get out of my way. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. God has a plan. Can you say amen? Amen. I want to talk about three things that we need to focus on today. First of all, in the light of what God is thinking, we need to focus on our own vision. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, the eye is the light of the body. In other words, what you see, the eye gate. And if the eye is single, if it's pure, if your focus is right, how great is the light that floods into that spirit? But if the eye is, if the vision is clouded, if it's distracted, I said this yesterday during the question and answer time, 
I said, there was a people that came out of Egypt that walked through the Red Sea that came through a wilderness experience, amen, and in a matter of a few days, depending on which commentator you read, anywhere from 12 to 30 days, they came to Kadesh Barnea, to the borderland, at the borderline of the Jordan River, ready to go in to what God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and two spies came out and said, let's go up quickly. The land is a land flowing with milk and honey, but 10 spies came out and said, wait a minute, this, this is a hard country. It devours the inhabitants. The walls are great. So, we saw giants. And they said, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Do you see the difference of vision? Two men said, God's gonna give us this. But 10 men convinced the rest of the country, if you go across that border, you're gonna die. I got a word for them in retrospect. They died anyway in a miserable waste howling wind. Wilderness. I've come to tell somebody it's time, amen, in 2021 for the church of the Lord Jesus to lift up your eyes and look under the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord. He's coming in the clouds of glory. He's pouring out his anointing. He's raising up a body, a church, amen, that's gonna be empowered and gifted to move forward and let the world see what God said just a moment ago. He, amen, wants them to see his glory upon the head of his church, hallelujah. And that's the Lord Jesus. Give him praise if you would. Ooh, am I preaching all right? Oh, I feel good this morning. I didn't know if it was just a hangover from the, from the conference that I'm feeling, but I'm feeling pretty good, praise God. Hallelujah. Our vision, the truth is, naturally speaking, we do not have the ability to see the future clearly. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 12. He said, for now, right now, we see through a glass darkly, in other words, through a clouded lens, but then when Christ begins to reveal his glory, when he comes in this last day and pours out his spirit, when he comes in the clouds, I know he's coming for us, but now he's coming among us in a greater way. Then, amen, he said, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, I understand a little bit, but then shall I know even also as I am known. I heard a man yesterday at the, at the luncheon sitting at the table. It's, it's amazing what you can hear if you just use two ears and shut one mouth for a few moments. And I heard somebody saying, but you know, he was talking about what heaven's going to be like. Don't you get amazed, Sister Annette, when people with the natural mind try to describe what's going to be taking place over there in that supernatural glory land? And one of them said, well, I'd like to have some time with Paul, Paul the Apostle. And uh, the, the response was, well, Paul's schedule is going to be so booked up that he's going to have to schedule in 10-minute increments. And when you sign up the list, they're probably going to say, well, in about 3,000 years, you'll have a 10-minute appointment with Paul. And I thought about that, and I said, oh, God. Poor old Paul, bless his heart. He suffered all of that down here and then when he gets over there, he's gonna have to put up with our ignorance. Can somebody say amen? But that's not what Paul said. Now I see in part. Now I understand a little. But when I get to heaven, I won't have any questions. They'll all be answered. Can you somebody say amen? Everything that Adam lost, including that 100% brain capacity, will be restored. 
restored in a glorified body. Somebody help me. And there's no such thing as calendars and dates and years in heaven. Come on, there's not a day or a night. There's not a rising or a setting. It's one endless glorious thing that we can't even describe. And it's not called time. It's called eternity. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo, our vision is kind of messed up. God intentionally withholds some of the spiritual knowledge because he said, and I read it in your hearing, when you seek me with your heart, I'll be found with you. He wants us, are you ready, to seek after knowledge. He wants us to, Jesus said, search the scriptures for these are they that speak of me. Hallelujah. I've heard people make uh, references of God and of Jesus that make me cringe. Are you hearing me? I've heard them call him, you've heard this too, the old man upstairs. I was talking to a family member one time and I was trying to witness to him. And they said, me and the old man upstairs have an understanding. And uh, Tom T. Hall wrote an old country song years ago when he was about half drunk when he wrote it, said me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, sir. I told that family member, I don't know who the old man is you've got in your attic, but you better get him out of there before he dies. He'll start stinking. I said, God's not an old man, and he's not upstairs. He's on the throne of heaven. Can I, can I get a witness? They said something this weekend that thrilled me. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty, but the throne is full. Can you say amen? The Father's whoo, on the throne, and Jesus is at his right hand, and there's a sea of glass mingle with fire in front of it and there's lamps of fire that represent the manifest presence of the Holy Ghost in heaven and he fills the earth as well. We've got to get our vision right if we're going to see what God is doing. Amen. Let me go on. He wants us to seek him. Jesus even spoke in parables because he wanted his disciples to know the truth but not the world at that time. Amen. He, there was, God had an order in which Christ would be revealed. And in John 13 and 7, uh, Jesus said this. He said to them, he said, what I do now, you don't know, but you will know hereafter. There'll be a time you'll understand. There'll be a revelation when the Holy Spirit comes. <laughs> oh, I feel like shouting right there. When he has come, he'll guide you into all truth. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm amazed sometimes that people that seem to be numb to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Have you met those people? Everything that happens, it's doom and gloom, amen. It's tragedy. There's, it's, it's never gonna work out. My son, One of my son-in-law tells me, he said, I've got a brother and said with him, the glass is always half empty. He said, it's never half full. And I've met the guy I've talk, and I've noticed that. Everything is, woe is me. Remember the old guys on the, on the old hee haw show and y'all remember that they used to sing gloom despair agony on me deep dark depression excessive misery if it weren't for bad luck I'd have no luck at all gloom despair and agony on me and then they go oh that sounds like some of the Christians I've 
meant. And oh God, it sounds like some of the preachers I've heard, but can I tell you that when the Holy Spirit moves in, he enlightens the word of God. He shines a lamp under our feet, a light under our path. David said, pick me up out of the horrible pit, put a song in my heart, gave me joy, unspeakable and full of glory. This is the only time I get to preach today, so I'm just gonna tell you, I'm feeling like God wants us to know what he's thinking. Hallelujah. Give him praise if you would. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16 and 12, I've got many things to say to you. You can't handle it right now. Come on. I mean, if you knew everything God had planned, you'd probably pass smack out. You just couldn't handle it if you knew it all. How be it when he, when he, the spirit of truth, has come. He'll guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you, he'll show you things to come. I've, I've had people look at me and say, we're just not gonna make it. I had church, I've been in board meetings with the church and with ministerial associations. And I've had, you know, those negative Speaking folks say, you can't do that. It won't work. We are not gonna make it. But I would hear the Holy Ghost saying, yes, you will. This is my plan. This was birthed in my mind. This is my thought. Hallelujah. I know what I'm thinking. So when we begin to realize that our vision has to be focused and it has to be Christ-centered, then we also need to be aware of something out or something else, and that's Satan's deception. Hananiah walked into the very temple, into the very palace. There was Jeremiah with that yoke around his neck saying, God has said 70 years. And, and, uh, and there was the priest, and there they were empty-handed, no instruments, no means of worship, and God is saying, you're gonna be in Babylon, you might as well just, he done told them just to those that are in captivity, just go on and, and uh, you know, just go on with life because you're not getting out for 70 years. But then all of a sudden, Hananiah walks in and he says, but I heard the Lord say, and I'm gonna destroy Babylon's yoke. And he breaks that, that yoke off Jeremiah's neck. You know what Jeremiah said to me? You ought to go back and read it sometime. He said, would to God that it were so. I pray that this is the word from the Lord. For a moment, Jeremiah latched onto that. Oh, he was thinking, yes, maybe God has, has backed up from what he said. You know, Joel said, Let, you know, weep and howl between the porch and the altar. Who knows that the Lord won't repent and leave behind a blessing during that time, amen, of the, of the locust and the caterpillar and the, and the plague that God had brought up on Israel at that time. And Jeremiah, for a moment there, he had just a, a thought, maybe, Brother Jim, this is what God is saying. And he said, I praise the Lord if it's true. But then, amen, he hadn't got far to God turn him around. And he went back and he told Hananiah what God had said. And then God said this to Jeremiah. I, he broke the yoke of wood. But now I want you to get a yoke of iron and I want you to put it around your neck and let Israel know my word is true. This is a bad time. But understand this, you don't need to hear what the devil has to say. 
tonight. You don't need to hear, amen, deceptive thoughts and words. What you need to know is what the word of God says and what the Holy Ghost is saying. And come on, somebody. How many knows that Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you all the way. Can I tell you, God said in Isaiah, when you walk through the fire, you'll not get burned. When you walk through the flood, it'll not overtake you. I love what David said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost when he said, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of evil, I will fear no shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. Hallelujah. He's with me. How many believes the Lord is with you? How many, he's showing you some things. He's showing you in his word what he says. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, talking to that church, he said, but I fear, I, I, I got a fear that lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Jesus. I mean, I, there used to be a guy that would come to my house and knock on my door. And sometimes it'd be late at night or, or whenever. And he'd want to talk about, well, he said he wanted to talk about the Lord. And he wanted to talk about scripture. And he operated from a spirit of confusion. And he, he would start trying to talk about the simplest things of God. And he'd get so mixed up I, one time I stopped him. I said, brother, just hold it. He looked at me and said, what? I said, you're so stinking confusing. You're giving me a headache. My wife said, you shouldn't have said that to him. I said, I had to say that to him. And he would tell me what his preacher said and he would tell me what they believed. And finally one night I said, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read it? He said, read all the time. I said, but you're reading it with a clouded vision, with a preconceived notion. And I won't get real specific, but I've, I've had other people tell me, well, you, you people are wrong because you don't do this. And they'll take one portion of one verse of scripture, misconstrue it, misinterpret it, and build a whole doctrine around it. It doesn't matter how many verses you show them that proves that's wrong. They say, no, you're just not hearing what's, what, uh, you're not hearing what our preacher says. And I say, thank God. Is this all right? Sometimes they're wolves in sheep's clothing. That sounds a little harsh. I was reading the other day and I read where Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before the swine. And don't give that which is holy to dogs. And that's, that's a strong word if you study it in its context. But Jesus is saying, the word of God never changes. It does not contradict itself. I seen something popped up on my phone the other day and some nut, some certifiable looney tune had said that Jesus was a liar. And I said, nope, you're the liar and the father of it. You're the devil's your daddy. Can you say me? I didn't even read what he had to say. I just clicked off of it. I have no time for foolishness. 
Satan is a serpent. He is subtle and sly. He's tricky, can you say amen? And Paul said, I'm really concerned about this, that, that your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I have for 42 years found that it's wonderful to read the word of God and hide it in your heart. And then when you hear it preached or you hear prophecy, there is a witness of the Holy Spirit that says, this is right. When I first started preaching, I was just a kid preacher and my pastor had a, had a radio program once a week. And uh, he came to me. I'd been teaching some Sunday school classes and they'd given me some, you know, just a little bit to, to, to study and learn and run with. And I was just obeying I mean, our church, every time it rained, water would get about that deep in the basement, and I'd go over there early on Sunday morning we'd, or Saturday, and we'd pump the water out and dry the basement up so we could have Sunday school. We just did what I walked in one time, they said, we want you to lead singing. I said, you want me to what? They said, we want you to lead singing. I said, there's two problems with that. First of all, I don't know the songs, and secondly, I can't sing. <laughs> and he said, we've heard you. So that Sunday, I was up there, and they were playing with all those guitars, and they were playing, and I was singing out of the book. Some of them didn't even have the tune right, but I just sung it, praise God. I did what they told me to do. And so the pastor came to me one Sunday at church. He said, I want you to take over the radio program every Sunday. I'd started preaching. And he said, I want you to preach it every Sunday, live Sunday afternoon. I found out later it, it kind of freed him up. But then he said, and you have to raise the money for it too. Wow, I said, okay. So I started preaching on the radio. And you know what happened? God started blessing. People started calling in, giving their heart to the Lord. And people started giving me money to pay for the radio program. And I had it paid for, you know, for way out ahead of time. But right in the middle of that, there was this fellow that started calling me. And he'd say, oh, you're close, but you're not there yet. And he'd say, there's just some things you need to understand about salvation. You just don't know it yet. And he started trying to add to what God had already done in my life because in his opinion, I wasn't saved yet because I wasn't what he said. And uh, there was an old lady in town. She's going to be with the Lord now. And she was a saint. I, I knew her, knew her family. And they, they used to hold meetings up in the eastern Kentucky in the coal mining country around the coal mining camps. Her and her husband and her sister and her husband and the mines worked in three shifts, so when they'd have revival, they'd have three services a day, one at the end of each shift. And you think about that, one about four o'clock, one about midnight, and the other one early in the morning. And God used them in a great way. And, and uh, I went to her house to visit her and, uh, and to have prayer with her and her group. And while we were there, the Holy Ghost began to move on this sister, and she began to prophesy to me, to speak to me. And she said, this is the, the word of the Lord. And she said, I see a man. And said, that man is calling you on the phone. And I hadn't mentioned this. And she said, that man is trying to discourage you in what you believe. And he's trying to get you off track from where God wants you to go. And I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, have you been talking to my wife? And she's just, you know, this word for word. And so after the meeting was over, we was talking. And she said, has uh, somebody been calling you? I said, oh, Yeah. She said, what's his name? And I told her his name. She said, oh, Lord. She said, he came over here to work on my refrigerator. 
I said, he did. I said, he got angry working on the refrigerator and threw his tools on the floor and started swearing. Called God's name in vain after earlier he'd been telling me that he was a man of God. She said, I told him, get your tools and get out of my house. She said, that's the man trying to correct you. Satan can be deceptive, will you say amen? The third thing I want you to notice about is this. First of all, our vision. Secondly, Satan's deception. But what I really want you to focus on is God's plan. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, the Lord said. He said, I know, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring you to a desired or an expected end. And when I started thinking about God's plan, Psalms 40 and 5, the psalmist said it like this, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you've done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. In other words, we can't really comprehend it. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Then he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire mine ears. Hast thou opened burnt offerings and sin offering? Hast thou not required? Listen, and he said, then I said, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. He said, I want you to know what you need is right here in the book. Can you say amen? And then he said, I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And I know this is a prophecy of Jesus, but the Bible said his heart needs to be the heart of the church. We need to embrace God's plan. Psalm 139, verse 17, amen. He said, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum or the total of them. Isaiah 55 and verse nine, he said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, says God. So God spoke to Jeremiah and he said, 70 years. And Jeremiah believed God's word because it was true. Can you say amen? Daniel comes along. He's been in captivity since the time he was a young boy. And he's an old man. He's been to the lion's den. Can you say amen? Amen. Him and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and let him and saved, amen, their lives, and they had become princes in Israel. Daniel was in Israel through three different kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. And in Daniel chapter nine, in verse number one, the Bible said in the first year of Darius, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books, the number of years whereof the word of the Lord had came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, God's plan, listen to this, it's greater than we can ever imagine. In Daniel chapter nine, verse 21, he said, yea, while I was in prayer, even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being called swiftly to fly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation or the evening worship and sacrifice. 
And he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I'm now come forth to give you skill in understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. He opens this up, 70 years. There's 70 weeks of years that are determined upon your people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision of the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So this prophecy, all of these things are going to happen at the end of this 70 weeks of years, or 490 years. Now, this is all talked about the end of time, at the end of the tribulation, when during the tribulation, it's the 70th week, when Jesus will be anointed and when the, Satan will be thrown into the bottomless pit, the Antichrist, the beast will be destroyed, and then the millennial reign will begin. But listen how he goes on to explain it to Daniel. Amen. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the time of the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Now this happened under Cyrus the king and uh, the king of Persia. Under the Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two. Let me, let me break that down. That's 62 and seven. That's 69 weeks of years, which is 483 years. In the time of Nehemiah, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after Three scores, seven years the proclamation is made by Cyrus at the beginning. Seven years later, Nehemiah comes and he rebuilds the city. Then he goes on and says, and then after the next 62 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. Folk, can I tell you, that's when Jesus was crucified at Calvary. That ended the 69 weeks. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, he'll be cut off, but not for himself. He'll die, but not, not for his own sin because he had no sin. Are you with me? Amen. And the people of the prince shall come, destroy the city and the sanctuary, the prince of the world, the people, Nero, the Romans, they will destroy the city, they'll destroy the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and, uh, and to the end of the war, desolations are to be determined. Now, at the end of that 69 weeks, Jesus has cut off. We enter in what we know as this last dispensation, which is the church age. It started on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. It will end with the rapture of the church. We're in that time now. In Matthew 24, his disciples came to him and showed him all the buildings of the temple and Jesus said, not one stone will be left on another. They said, Lord, show us what will be the sign of your coming. And you know what they said? And the end of the world, the translators kind of blew it. It's really, and the end of the age. What will be the sign of your return at the end of the church age? And then Jesus then begins to tell them about Matthew 24, describing that 70th week, amen. The Bible says that it's the time of the desolation of Israel. 
It's the time during that 70th week, that last week of seven years. We know it's the tribulation, the first three and a half, the great tribulation, the last three and a half, the mark of the beast, the antichrist, and all of that. They'll be gathered into the valley of Megiddo, and the devil's gonna gather the armies of the world. And I could go into a lot of prophecy about how Russia and China and all the Persian countries are gonna be involved. But when they think they're going to destroy the Lord, he's coming in the clouds of glory. That's not the rapture. I'm talking now about the second coming, about this time that he's telling Israel about. He's gonna come. He's gonna make it into it. And then it says in verse 27, this antichrist will confirm the covenant for many with one week. And in the midst of the week, in the middle of that, then he'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and the overspreading of abominations. He shall make it desolate. Let me me just translate all that. The first three and a half years, the antichrist is gonna be the darling of the world the last three and a half years he's going to unleash his fury he's going to try to destroy everyone because he comes not but for to kill and to steal and to destroy and in the midst of that God's judgment the vials of wrath the thunders the trumpets the world is going to be a horrific place can somebody hear what I'm saying to you amen he'll make it desolate even until the consummation till it's finished and that determined shall be poured out but then I want you to understand Jesus said except amen uh, except the Lord would shorten the days that not even the very elect would be saved in Matthew 24 and I've heard people reference that to how fast the days are going by now hear me there's still 24 hours in a day and time is not going any faster than it ever has man's the psalmist said the man's days are like a hand breath they're faster than a weaver's shuttle. James said they're like the steam that comes up off of a pot. You know what God was saying? I'm gonna step in. I'm gonna intervene. And when Israel is hiding out over there in Petra in the Red Rock City and the Antichrist has come down to Megiddo to try to destroy them, Jesus is gonna mount on a white horse and the armies of heaven are coming with them and he's gonna fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah and he's gonna fulfill the prophecy of Daniel. Is anybody hearing me today? I want to tell you, God has a plan that's set in heaven and hell cannot stop it. Amen. We need to be ready for the rapture of the church. For the rapture. I started thinking about Cyrus. You can study about Cyrus. He's quite a character. God mentions him in Isaiah and he's reigned and then he goes into kind of transitions from talking about Cyrus to Satan being kicked out of heaven. But Cyrus made the decree, rebuild Jerusalem. And I read it in your hearing where Daniel said from that day, from the time of the decree, when it starts, that starts the first seven years, seven years later Nehemiah comes. Amen. And then uh, the, after that's, that's the first week, seven, uh, seven weeks, I'm sorry, that he, he makes a decree, Cyrus, king of Persia. Then after seven weeks or 49 years, then Nehemiah comes. And then after 62 more weeks, at the end of 483 years, Jesus is crucified. And there's no less than four traditions concerning Cyrus as to who he was. Uh, some believe that he was Darius the Mede, 
that took over after after Babylon had fallen. And there's some other ideas, but what most theologians concur with, and I've done some studying on this this week, is that he seems to be the son of of Astyagus and Queen Esther from the book of Esther. Astyagus is also known as Ahasuerus. He's also referred to as Darius when you read some of the ancient references. But the idea is that when we understand that Haman had a plan to destroy Israel, God had a little Jewish girl named Esther who was a beauty queen. And, and, and Ahasuerus, Cyrus, he, he chose her. And, and he had this, they had this son, they named him Cyrus. When I, when I think about how that Satan caused Adam to fall, but God said, woman to be saved through childbearing. And he gave a prophecy in the, in the Garden of Eden in the start that the seed of woman, Satan would bruise his heel, but he would crush his head. But woman doesn't have seed. That's a direct prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus in the first chapters of the Bible. And then the Bible says things progressed or, or digressed, however you want to look at it. And when Satan was kicked out of heaven, a third of the angels fell with him. That somehow those fallen angels became demon spirits and embodied themselves as men. And they had relationships with the, the daughters of man. And these, these creatures were born of this horrible spiritual fornication, demonic with human. And they corrupted what Satan's plan was. Hear me now was to corrupt the bloodline so that they could not be traced back to Eve for the seed of the woman to be pure. But then your Bible says that one man, Noah, was a just man and he found grace in the eyes of God. But when you look a little farther, it said he was perfect in his generations. Can I translate that? His genealogy was not defiled. You could trace him all the way back through righteous Seth. Amen. To being the being a direct descendant of Eve uncorrupted seed so God spoke to Noah and said build a boat there was no water where they were building the boat an ark, a ship there wasn't a ship built as big as the ark till 1969 and it was a nuclear powered vessel that's how big it was I mean those God has a plan and, and I love if you've never been up to Cincinnati up there close and visit the, the ark encounter I mean, I don't know if that's really all correct or not, but boy, it kind of gives you a thought. Wow, look what God did. A man wasn't a ship builder. Come on, somebody. But when God's in something, you can do it. He has a plan. And so Noah and his three sons, I, the Bible really doesn't say how long it took them, but I, I, my estimate, it was over 100 years to build this ark. And they built it out of gopher wood and it never rotted. I mean, if I started building a building, it took me 100 years to build it. It didn't fall down before I got it done. Say this with me. God had a plan. And so that ark was for the saving of his house. But more importantly than that, it was for the saving of the pure bloodline. And God destroyed everybody. 
that was tainted because God had a plan to save man. And even when Jesus was born, and I know I'm skipping a couple thousand years of history here. I can go back and show you time after time where God preserved his plan. When Jesus was born in Herod, sent and killed all the male children. Jeremiah prophesied of that and said the voice of Rachel lamenting for her children because they were not. He was trying to cut off the bloodline, trying to stop salvation. But God spoke to Joseph and said, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt because God had prophesied and said, out of Egypt I'll bring my son. And several times during Jesus' three and a half year ministry, they wanted to kill him. They tried to, they was going to throw him over a cliff one time. And the Bible just said, if you don't watch it, you'll miss it. God just kind of translated him right through the crowd. He just walked right out of their midst and they couldn't even see him. Because God had a plan. Herod said to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to take your life? And Jesus said, you have no power at all. Except my father gave it to you. No man will take my life. I'll lay it down. And when I lay it down, I'll take it back up. Because God gave that to me. He came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave him power to become the sons of God. And out of that group, they were twelve apostles out of that over 500 that witnessed him alive the other 380 went their other direction but 120 went to the upper room got filled with the Holy Ghost and fire and the church was born and through the years the Stalins do you know Stalin killed 50 million people during the time of World War II we all know about the holocaust of what Hitler did but he was a choir boy compared to Stalin. Stalin was trying to kill Christianity and trying to kill the Jews and trying to wipe out the Germans because Hitler's idea was an Aryan nation, a Reich or a millennial. He thought he would start the millennial reign. He was a lunatic. But Stalin's plan was to kill them all. Mao Zedong said, if I can kill half my people, I can feed the other half. But to do that, I have to take away their hope. I have to destroy Christianity behind the bamboo curtain. But I want to tell you the greatest revival in the world is going on behind the curtain in China today. Amen. Islam came along 600 years after Christ. And Muhammad was a madman who walked around in the jungles and in the wilderness and scribbled things on leaves and on anything he could write it on. And the Sunnis and the Shiites that you hear about trying to kill each other all the time is because they got two different versions of the Quran and they don't agree which one is right. And neither one of them are right because what Muhammad said was the Jews have Jehovah and the Christians have Jesus and the Arabs have nobody. So I'll start my own religion. And they've tried to kill Christianity. They've tried to wipe out Israel, but Israel's still standing. And some of the greatest revivals in the world of Christianity are going on in that 1040 window in the Muslim world. Can you hear me? And I said all that to say this. What's God thinking? He's thinking what he's always said. I have a plan and it will not fail. Amen? God's getting ready to do a great thing.
in the last days. He said, there'll be the former and the latter rain. He said, there'll be the rain of planting time and there'll be the rain that brings the crop to full fruition before the harvest. That's the latter rain. Folks, that's where we are now. Is anybody with me today? And I've just been thinking, God, what are you up to? What are you thinking? And I heard him say, I told you. I told you. Get ready. Because what the world thinks they're going to do, God's not going to allow it. Because it's going to contradict his plan. So just hold on. Get ready to be filled and blessed and healed and delivered. God's going to cause you to prosper when the world thinks you're done because we're the apple of his eye. Can you say amen? Stand with me. He has said no weapon formed against you will prosper. And if God is that faithful to Israel, those who have broken his laws, violated his covenant, defiled his land, how much better covenant do we have? How many greater things are in store for the church? Amen. He's coming. Be ready. Father, we love you. We thank you for your, your plan, and for your promise, and for your faith. God, we're trusting your word now, and we're getting ready here in a half hour to enter into another service of, I believe, prophetic significance and impact on our church. As Brother Nick has said, souls are getting saved and lives are being touched. Gifts are operating. The miraculous is taking place. We don't take it for granted. We know it's come from the mind of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Help us be ready for what you want to do with us. That song they were singing, if you're looking for a people, we're available. If you're looking for a place, look no farther because we're your people and we're ready. In Jesus' name. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Can I ask the question? Is there anybody here that's not really ready for what God's about to do? Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you backslid. Maybe you're away from God. You, you see the, the rumblings of the end time. I mentioned briefly the tribulation, the rapture, then the tribulation, then the second coming. It's about to happen. Are you ready for it? Not only that, but none of us are promised tomorrow. Amen. You could die today. Are you ready for that? Young people die, old people die, babies die, children die, middle-aged people. Are you ready for that? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Are you ready for the eternal part of your life? If you're not, would you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I don't want to miss God. I don't want to miss His plan. I want to be ready. Is there anybody like that? I'm not saved. Hallelujah. How many would say, Pastor, I'm saved, but I sure want to be in tune with what God has for me in these last days. Would you slip up your hand? Pray for me. I want to be in tune with what God has for me to do and be. Amen. I want you to look this way. Nick's going to sing. These altars are open. Let's obey the Lord this morning. Jesus at the center of it all. center of it all from beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus 
at the center of it all. We just leave you in Jesus at the center we just of just submit it to you. set in order the beginning of the 70 weeks of years and as you look down through the genealogy of Jesus you'll see people like Rahab the harlot you'll see people like Ruth the Moabite and they were brought in to God's plan and in this last time between the end of the 69th week 
of Daniel's prophecy when Jesus died until the beginning of the 70th week, which will be the tribulation. In that span now of over 2,000 years, here's this church, this church that was predestined, this church that was ordained of God to carry the gospel to the world that whosoever will might be saved. And we need not adapt some mentality that would say, well, God brought me to the kingdom like maybe like Esther might have thought to save you know, right now because God has a plan for us to save the world before Jesus comes. How many understand that? And set our hearts on you, Lord, come and We hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.